Hello, fellow foodies. Welcome back. This is Dr. Cassandra Quaid, your host for Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. This week on the show, we're going to talk about the incredible edible and medicinal potential of mushrooms. And I have two really special guests on the show today. Um, I have Jeff Chilton and Bill Chaffee on the line. Let me tell you a little bit about their backgrounds. So Jeff studied ethnomycology, and we're going to ask more about what that means in a bit, um, at the University of Washington in the late 60s. And in 1973, he began a 10-year career as a large-scale commercial mushroom grower. Jeff is the co-author of The Mushroom Cultivator, which was published in 1983. And in 1989, he established NAMEX, the first company to supply medicinal mushroom extracts to the nutritional supplement industry. In 1997, he organized the first organic certification workshop for mushroom production in China. Jeff is a founding member of the World Society for Mushroom Biology and Mushroom Products and um, also a member of the International Society for Mushroom Science. Namex extracts are used by many supplement and food companies and are noted for their high quality based on both scientific analysis um, of the active compounds. Our second guest is Bill, and Bill is actually the Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer for Namex, and he has 30 years of experience in the production and sale of botanical medicines within the natural products, retail, manufacturing, and food and beverage sectors. Bill also serves on a number of nonprofit boards, including the United Plant Savers, the Sustainable Herbs Program, the Appalachian Forest Farmers, and is also representative of NAMEX to the American Herbal Products Association. So thank you both so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to learn more about mushrooms. As you know, I'm more of a botanist, so um, it's, it's, this is a great territory for me to, to learn more about their incredible potential. Thanks very much, Cassandra, for having us on. <clears throat> yeah. So why don't we start with just the, the basics? So what is a mushroom and what does the field of mycology can encompass? Well, you know, the study of mycology is um, pretty deep <laughs> because fungi is a huge uh, area of interest and there's so much in it. And when we talk about mushrooms, mushrooms is just a small slice of that. Um, I, I was fortunate enough when I was in university to have a mycology department at the University of Washington. This is rare. Very few universities have yeah. it. And, and part of the reason is that um, in Seattle at the University of Washington, I mean, the Pacific Northwest is the perfect place for wild mushrooms. The climate is, you know, rains a lot, lots of forests. So it's a perfect climate for that. But my actual field of study was anthropology. And, mm. and although I, I, I would say that, okay, I'm a, a um, ethnomycologist. You know, the fact is, is that I put those two together. It wasn't like we had a department back then. There was no such department in the 60s. But I uh, did a lot of study on um, the use of mushrooms for food, for medicine, and in shamanic purposes. And, and you have to remember, there was a lot of shamanism going on in the 60s. <laughs> not necessarily in foreign lands. So it was, it was a, a time when there was a lot of experimentation and it was a counterculture. And so we had that all around us in terms of, you know, I mean, we had uh, psilocybin mushrooms growing on the University of Washington campus. Um, wow. We also discovered that we're growing out in other areas. But, you know, that was a time too where, where a lot of people were heading off to Mexico or other places looking for what, you know, Carlos Castaneda called the sort of Don Juan. They were looking for their healer, their shaman to study with and things like that. So it was a very exciting time. But yeah, that was what I was studying. I just kind of put the two together and uh, that started my career uh, because look, after, after um, uh, getting out of university, you don't get a, a job in anthropology. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I decided, well, I'd really love to learn how to grow mushrooms. And so at that point, I went to the only mushroom farm in Washington state. And I was there for the next 10 years living with mushrooms. 
That's amazing. So I love this. So we have ethnobotany, which is the scientific study of the relationships that people have with plants. And we also have ethnomycology. Yeah, the I know. Study, yeah. But we with mushrooms. And yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. They're two different kingdoms. They do deserve, you know, their own names. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really interesting. And, you know, at that point in time, <clears throat> believe it or not, it was, it was a New York banker named Gordon Lawson that through reports from botanists like uh, Richard Evan Schultes at Harvard mm -hmm. and others actually went to Mexico and rediscovered, so to speak, the use of uh, psilocybin mushrooms in their um, and, and, and shamanic, in a way, it was more their healing. Uh, um, the, it was the curanderas and curanderos down there that were using these in, in healing ceremonies. So, so it was a really interesting time because it was like, this is you know, amazing after after 500 years at minimum where mm -hmm. nobody had any idea that this was going on um all of a sudden it emerged and it emerged in the uh, mountains of mexico and and he went down there for the next five or six for five or six summers during the rainy season with a french mycologist and they they gathered and studied all of these different psilocybe mushrooms down there and as well they uh took uh, a, a visionary trip with a shamanist there and a couple of them actually and then they reported it out in uh, a magazine called life magazine and, and this was a big broadsheet magazine you know color pictures and everything and on the cover of this magazine it was really interesting because it was like um great adventures three um mushrooms that cause visions discovered in mexico and you can you imagine uh, a newspaper coming out and saying something like that today that you're like oh poisonous mushrooms found that, <laughs> that create havoc in people's minds or something whereas but this was like man isn't this interesting so i mean this is incredible we have this release of an article in life magazine that brings a lot of attention to mushrooms and today I think that attention around psilocybin mushrooms is growing and growing, but there's a lot of terminology that I think may be a bit confusing to many of us. Um, so I was wondering if you might be able to walk us through some of the basics. When we, when we talk about mushrooms, are we talking about mycelia? Are we talking about fruiting bodies, the, the classic little mushroom cap that you see at the grocery store? Um, you know, and, and kind of, can you tell us just the basics of, about like how mushrooms exist in the world and which parts are being used, not only um, in applications for, for psychedelics, but also for foods or for supplements? I mean, are we harvesting all these parts or just certain elements of the mushroom? Yeah, great, uh, great points. And, you know, the it's funny how the uh, mushrooms had taken off with a, a life uh article that Jeff described and kind of, uh, but didn't really reach the forefront, right? Other than just in, in uh, white button mushrooms that most of us are familiar with eating. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, really like having most of my background, like yourself studying plants and how plants become uh, in made into plant medicines on uh, their various forms and how different cultures have consumed them and done amazing different things with them that are very innovative, if you think of it. Um, and mushrooms really like my experience was extracting mostly reishi mushrooms and sourcing mm -hmm. whole reishi mushrooms from uh, Jeff. And so, yeah, I think now uh, in the marketplace, so like when, when I first started uh, working with uh, Namex, it was as a client, you know, um, sourcing products. And it was from Jeff, who was one of the only people who had organic reishi, whole reishi mushrooms that he was growing. Um, and so, yeah, and, and uh, but I think now on the marketplace, right, you have uh, different products um, made from, let's say, fungal organisms. Um, and as more people are becoming familiar with different varieties of even culinary mushrooms, like oyster mushrooms, for instance, mm -hmm. you never would have found those in a grocery store before, right? Yeah. Or um, just maybe shiitakes and white button mushrooms and portobellos and, uh, you know, some of the cremini mushrooms. But 
beyond that, really no lion's mane. Now you can find lion's mane in uh, mushrooms in a grocery store. And wow. this is where I think it's important and really maybe just to keep it on a very basic level, because I could let Jeff speak to the actual growth cycles and mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in, a, in a more scientific way. But think of if you went into the growth, we have a lot of products right now that are mycelium. You mentioned mycelium. Well, the, the growth cycle of a mushroom, of course, starts with a spore, right? That would land on the ground or someplace and have the right conditions to create uh, hyphae, these filaments, which become the mycelium, which would then start to consume uh, wood or earth or whatever they're actually mm -hmm. growing on for the right conditions until they completely consume this and form into a like a hyphal knot, right? And then at the right time with the right conditions, um, depending on the species of uh, fungal organism, it would create what we see as a mushroom. It would start as, uh, a, as a pin or a pinhead, when they call it pinning, when they're growing mushrooms, and it starts to form a pin and then forms into a primordia, which would be a small raised portion. Um, and then from there, it would grow a stalk and into a cap and what you would recognize as a mushroom. Um, and within that organism, uh, right, you've got the gills, which contain uh, the spores, which could be released. And they're either external or internal, depending on the organism. If it's a puffball, uh, they're sort of inside there and they get released as spores outside. But uh, yeah, so I think going back to the example of like when if you were in the grocery store so um you know what what we buy are mushrooms for food in the grocery store mm -hmm. and um they, they're picked and often you can buy them with the stem and you just cut a little part of the stem off and prepare them and and cook them and so what's happening now is we're having products that are uh mushroom um uh, grain inoculations, uh, growing things on uh, grain substrates because the mycelium will consume that just fine um, and they can be organic. And uh, then that product um, grows in a uh, chamber in a sterilized uh, medium of this uh, grain substance. And it will do exactly what we described before. It will create the hyphae and it will start to consume the grain and then um, but before this uh, pinning and uh, happens to create an actual the start of a mushroom uh, that process will be stopped and then the grain will be dried down and turned into a supplement so it does contain mycelium it also contains the uh, substrate of the uh, inoculated sterilized grain that it started with so you know like as I said Jeff um, started in this business uh, growing that type of material and he can speak uh, much more to that but like if you went into the store and you asked them for a bag of mushrooms and they handed you a bag of grain inoculated with mycelium you would say what what did you just give me these aren't <laughs> mushrooms um, but what we see happening is um, either on label or on package they're referred to as a mushroom when as you can see, a mushroom is a part of a fungal organism the same way the mycelium is a part yeah. of that organism. It's the vegetative body of the mushroom, right? And then the reproductive mm -hmm. part of the mushroom is the fruiting body. Well, and, and for, let me just get in here for a second because- Sure, you know jump what? right in, Jeff. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and just so you know, for some reason, my power just went right out. Oh, you're great. It's good. <laughs> uh, I know, I know. I was on a roll too. Um, but, but, you know, it, the interesting part about this product and, and the, the market of supplements and so on is that mushrooms are expensive to grow. Every single mushroom you've ever eaten has been picked by hand uh and wow. and so you can't you can't actually grow mushrooms in the united states for supplement use you can grow them as food because maybe you get three dollars and fifty cents a pound for your shiitake but supplements are dried powder mushrooms are 90 percent water like a lot of vegetables so the minute you dry mm -hmm. them out now you have to get 35 dollars for that same pound of mushrooms so the economics wow. don't work and so so that, that's why I realized, as a mushroom grower on a large scale, I realized that and knew that I could not grow mushrooms for the supplement uh, industry. That's why I went to China. That's where I established all my contacts. China is like, 
you know, what's so interesting because they have multiple mushroom research stations. They have tens of thousands, literally tens of thousands of small growers. And, and, um, to, and today they grow 85% of the world's mushrooms. So it was just Amazing. obvious place to go. And, and that's where all, a lot of the research has taken place. And that's where they use mushrooms for thousands of years. So it's just kind of a, a no brainer in that sense, in terms of going there. And so what happened, companies in the United States realized this, that they couldn't grow mushrooms. So what did they do? This product that Bill just described, which is the mycelium growing on sterilized grain in a laboratory, is the process that we use to grow mushroom spawn. Mushroom spawn, because how do you grow mushrooms? They don't have seeds. Well, you you grow it with live mycelium. That's what you use as your seed to grow That's mushrooms. Yeah. So you have to put that live mycelium on a carrier mm-hmm. grain. They developed that in the 1930s. You put it on sterilized grain. It grows out. Each one of those grains becomes like a seed. So you spread that into your growing substrate. And now you're you're in business in terms of growing mushrooms. But mm-hmm. you can what they did, what these companies do is they just take that colonized grain and it's just like mycelium on the outside of a, a piece of grain you take that you uh, grow it for 30 to 60 days you you dump it out you dry it you grind it to a powder grain and all hmm. and you call it mushroom well it's not mushroom it's not even mycelium that, that's the other conceit it's not even mycelium it's mostly grain starch and the way that I was able to determine this as we had a test for mushroom beta-glucans called the Megazyme test. And that test uh, not only gave us the amount of beta-glucans in a mushroom or, or any other product we wanted to test, but it also gave the alpha-glucans, which are the starches. So mushrooms have 25 to 60% beta-glucan. They have around 5% alpha, which is mostly glycogen. Mushrooms do not have starch. These other products, they were just the opposite. They have about 6% in the mean of the 40 products that we tested of beta-glucan, and they had 25 to 60% of alpha-glucan, which are the starches. Some of them had beta-glucan levels as low as 1%, if you can imagine, and 60% of the alpha-glucan. So, so, and why are they doing this? Well, again, because they can't grow mushrooms economically to do it. They put out these these particular products and unfortunately they mislabel them as mushroom. So, so what you, does what does a mushroom farm look like? Could you paint a picture of this so we can kind of get a better grasp? Because I think we can all imagine like a field with tomatoes growing. Okay, everyone has yeah, an image of that. Exactly. What is what does a mushroom farm look like? Is this outdoors? Is well, it okay, so like, you know what they've done, this? Cassandra. What they've done in, in in China, the way they do it is they they have um, they they basically standardized on uh, synthetic logs, synthetic in the sense that it's sawdust, uh, okay. and they they uh, sterilize that sawdust log, they inoculate it with mycelium, and then they it's like they, the size of a log. It's like a like a round like a like a that's like a exactly log exactly what exactly what okay. you see in that picture. That that's okay. the log, and and so what they do too is they grow according to natural conditions. They they have some very large farms that grow indoors, like we do in the West with climate control and all that. But most mm-hmm. of the mushrooms that we produce. And what I like about it, it's a totally natural system. No, absolutely no heating, cooling, humidification. No, they grow these mushrooms in season when the temperatures are right for that species. Ganoderma, which we're seeing right here, grows on just a regular wood log. And then they bury it in the ground and cover it with earth. And then it comes up like you see in these uh, pictures through that earth. Whereas most of the others, this sawdust bag is put on shelves in, in large facilities. I think you've got that photo of me and the sawdust logs. Yeah, that, that's a shiitake farm right there. And you can see it's open air. It's growing in um, October, November when the temperature is lower and the humidity is higher and it grows off of these individual logs that are sitting in these rows on basically uh, um, uh, wood channels there that they just sit on top of. And you have uh, thousands yeah. of these logs in that house. So 
And there you have your classic mushroom cap and stem for the audience that doesn't see the video and the photos. It's it's you have the actual, you know, mushrooms that we we know as mushrooms, which I guess scientifically would be the fruiting bodies that are growing. Well, and so well the yes. Distinction, am I understanding the distinction in the industry correctly in that you have whole mushrooms that we're used to seeing like in the grocery store, um, but those are very expensive to produce as a supplement because you lose so much of the water when you when you dry them down. And exactly. then you have these other method that relies on mycelia, but it's not, they're never forming an actual mushroom fruiting body structure. That's okay. right. That's right. Okay. So, so what you've got there is just the vegetative body, which is mm -hmm. the, the mycelium that is covering sterilized grain. grain. So, mm -hmm. so there, and there's very little of that mycelium ultimately when you dry it and, dry yeah. it. and, and we've been able to prove that through, through testing. And, and look, Asander, one of the things that Namex does is mm -hmm. we really believe in analysis. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, look, there's so many research studies out there that are in vitro for the most part, and there's some in vivo and, and there's very few clinical trials. But if I want to guarantee to you that what I have is a genuine mushroom product, we, we do analysis and we have compounds that we are analyzing for like beta-glucans, uh, ergosterol, mm -hmm. which is the fungal sterol. Uh, we also test for ergothionine. Are you, are you familiar with ergothionine? Not really. What can you share with us about it? Well, ergothionine is an interesting amino acid that they've done a lot of research on we, that's in our bodies in various areas of high oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. They don't really know why it's there. Um, they haven't figured out exactly what it's doing, <laughs> but it is there. We don't produce it. We can only get it from external sources. And interestingly enough, mushrooms are one of those, one of the best sources to get it. There, some of the researchers that are doing the work consider it to be a possible vitamin. So, hmm. so, and, and it, they, they look at it in terms of being a longevity vitamin. And, and so it's, it's, it's something that I think we'll be hearing more about in the future because the research has become very deep on it. And, and one of the best ways that you can get it is eating mushrooms, which I highly recommend mm -hmm. to everybody put mushrooms into your diet. Cassandra, mushrooms are the forgotten food. They are, yeah. I, I consider them the missing dietary link. We need mushrooms in our diet before you supplement, eat mushrooms. I mean, do, have you ever eaten shiitake mushrooms? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I've had I've had a chance to even go out foraging with with mushroom foragers before, um, in in the Welsh countryside, and it's 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 amazing. I I don't know enough about about mushroom ID to be able to do it on my own still, um, but I'm always in awe of of those that forage and and do know how to identify them and are able to make amazing you know amazing meals um, out of them. Yeah. Well, it's just a wonderful food. And and when I started growing mushrooms at the mushroom farm in 1973, classical nutritionists said they have no food value. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, and they the, have reason lots they, of value and they, <laughs> the reason they said that, they just said, oh, it's a flavorful food, but no food value. The reason was because it was low in calories. That's the 1970s. Low in calories, no food value. Well, yeah. no, it has wonderful food value. Pat, you know, it's got a 20 to 40% protein. Uh, 40 to 70% carbohydrate, low in fat, uh, potassium, phosphorus. The carbohydrates that it have are non-starch carbohydrates, mannitol, trehalose, carbohydrates that are slow acting carbohydrates. Mannitol is very difficult for us to digest and mushrooms are very high in fiber. So they're feeding our microbiome as well. So it's, it's a, an amazing food. We, you know, people need to eat mushrooms regularly, like two or three times a week at least. I mean, I, I eat them probably five nights a week. It's <laughs> amazing. I wish I could convince my kids to do that. They're not always happy when I have them. I, I think it's maybe the the texture. I may be also cooking them um, incorrectly. You are. Um, I may, uh, I may say that if you, dice, if, if you dice them up real small, our trick well, at home is to dice up the shiitakes real small in the stir fry. Then, well, so the know. other thing, look, you have to cook mushrooms on a high heat because if you don't, what happens is all the water comes right out of them. 
And now they're mm-hmm. sitting in a, in a in, like if you're frying a pan of them, right? Now they're sitting in a puddle of water and you're wondering why your kids are saying, I hate these soggy, slimy things. <laughs> That's a good point. So I need, I need, to, I need to brush up my cooking skills on, yeah. on these. High yeah, heat, sure. high heat. I, I will even like, you know, uh, slice them reasonably thick, like a uh, quarter of an inch uh, high heat. I'll even flip them over by hand if I have to, to kind of, I like to brown up the sides of them. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. always easy because my, my pan of mushrooms is kind of like, like that. It's not just flat with, you know, on the surface, yeah. but, and then cook them, you know, long enough that you can kind of brown them up, but low heat, Stay away from it. The water comes right out of it. And look, they will shrink. You put them in the pan, they will shrink. So put in more than you think and because they'll, they'll shrink up on you. Yeah. Well, now, you know, in North America, we're entering into fall. And I was wondering if you had any advice for those that want to consume more mushrooms or maybe even grow their own mushrooms at home. Um, do you think that's an accessible thing for folks to try? I mean, um, with these types of logs, these artificial logs, is it easy to grow mushrooms at home or well, should we stick with the going to the store? Well, well, look, depending on where you happen to live, if you have, if you live in an area where you have access to wood logs, where maybe like, like here we have alder trees, alder, mm-hmm. we considered a weed. So if you have alder trees, you could take those down, um, and you could purchase some spawn, which is mm-hmm. fairly cheap, $25 for a big bag with a bunch of plugs. You just wow. drill holes in those logs in a certain pattern. You fill it up with, with that uh, uh, spawn, and then you let it incubate for 12 to 18 months. And after that period, if it all goes right, keep it out of the, the sunlight, direct sunlight. It'll just dry mm-hmm. out the logs, and you won't get anything. But after 18 months, you soak it, and then if it's all... Uh, uh, you know, everything goes right. You'll see shiitake mushrooms on that. Wow. But, you know, I mean, they also, there's many companies selling kits. Those will be the most expensive mushrooms you've ever bought, but it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's fun, you know, and and whatever you do, be sure you put it in a little humidity tent or something. You put it out on your, your, your drain board thinking, okay, I'll just, I'll just watch it there. They start to form and then they go, oh my God, this is too dry. I'm not, I'm not growing any further. I'm not coming out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I want to I want to learn more about the ways that mushrooms are processed to become supplements. So we've talked a bit about lion's mane. We've talked about reishi. I mean, these are two mushrooms in particular that are becoming more and more, I think, um, a, a point of interest for people that are interested in, in health foods. Um, so going back to this question of the mycelia grown mushrooms on grains, do those grains also include gluten? Is that another risk? Well, well, let me, let me say a couple of things. First of all, you said these mushrooms that are grown on grain. There's no mushrooms. They're mycelia. Mycelia. Yes. Sorry. And, and, that, and it's very confusing. And, and the people selling these products try to confuse you because they're calling their product yeah. mushroom. So um, the, the fact is, is that is that mushrooms, when you grow mushrooms, actually grow mushrooms, cranes are never used. Never ever used okay. unless you're growing in your closet uh, uh sterilized grain and you're growing psilocybe cubensis okay <laughs> then grains are fine they're, Just they're a little easy in the closet. yeah <laughs> exactly you know that little mushroom garden in the closet oh high value mushrooms high, high value <laughs> so so that is the only time grain is ever used to grow as mushroom because it's simple and you can do mm. it on a small scale but if you're growing on any kind of scale you have to do real substrate materials, whether it's a, a compost or sawdust or wood logs or something like that. You, you have to go go that route. And and uh, so so growing mycelium, you know, in China, they grow hundreds of tons of pure mycelium in liquid culture, in fermentation technology. I mean, okay. hundreds of tons of this material. Right. And, uh, but this is pure mycelium. It's been growing in sterile culture. When they when they basically take it out and filter away the liquid, they have mycelium. They don't have grain or any other substrate that comes with it. It's kind of like think about it. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up this plant and sell you this plant, but I'm gonna sell you the dirt with it. It's like, well, hold on a second, you know. And and some companies say, oh gee, that rice that we're growing on oh it's it's also active because this mycelium is secreting certain compounds into it look if it is show me the evidence 
I mean, don't show me uh, a uh, in vitro trial. Show me the analysis of what you've got there. Show me that it's not starch. Show me that these chemicals that you say that are there are actually there. Some of these companies actually talk about enzymes. Oh, it's got enzymes in it. Enzymes? You, you sterilize this grain, you grew it on there, and now you dry it out and you say that there's enzymes there that are supposed to help us and we're taking one gram of, of grain starch and you say there's enzymes for us? <laughs> Get serious. I mean, I mean, you know, when you start to break down all of the different claims they make for those products, they just don't hold up. And the only reason that these claims are still out there is because they have celebrities selling it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that this is a big challenge. I mean, this is a challenge across the marketplace. We give grain to everything, whether it's our farm-raised fish or our cattle. Now, now even our, our, our mycelia. That's um, right. But let, let's say, let's take us behind the scenes of how do you actually make a quality supplement using mushrooms, using the actual fruiting body? Like, how does that happen? And how, what is, I know that NAMEX really prides itself on analysis and having high quality and analysis can, so maybe, can you walk us through that a bit? Well, you know what, first of all, you, you grow the mushroom, like we saw some photos on mm -hmm. natural substrates that normally would be growing on in nature. That doesn't mean we can't a supplement like this log is got has been supplemented that sawdust. We've mixed in some uh, rice bran, which gives it a little more nutrient for those mushrooms to grow. That log right there with those mushrooms, that's a great yield. Now, those mushrooms have to be dried because like any herb, you have to transport them. You have mm -hmm. to store them. So they all get dried out. They get sent to our production facility. Um, then what happens is, you know, traditionally, most Chinese uh, herbal medicine is just a water extract. They just boil the hell out of herbs and, and you drink that muddy water. Um, what we do is it, it goes in, these dried mushrooms will go into a very, very large tank of water. It will be um, cooked or extracted at 90 degrees C under pressure. We'll cook it for three hours in there. Um, in some cases, we may cook that if we want to make a concentrate, we may cook that for three times uh, there. The other thing that we're doing, because we have two types of extracts, we have what we call our one-to-one -one extract, which is we will grind those mushrooms to a fine powder before we cook it. Then ultimately, once we've done the one-time cooking, we will evaporate off the water till we have more of a, a viscous fluid with the powder still in it, which we will then send off to the spray dryer. And so it comes out as a spray dried powder, but we have not removed the mushroom powder. So wow, what so the we're mushroom doing, powder, the fiber is also there. Okay. The fiber is also there. So that particular product category, which we call a one-to-one -one extract, there's nothing that is removed from that absolutely nothing. We've still got the fiber there, um, but we've also processed it to a point where we believe it helps to break down the cell walls and become a little more bioavailable. Now, and so this if, is boiled in water. There's no, so there are a lot of like herbal supplements where you have an, a, you know, a, an extract and an organic solvent like, like ethanol, for example, that can be dried down. But in this case, you're doing a, almost like a tea, heavily boiled, you know, processed tea that's then spray dried down, but it that's right. still the mushroom parts are still there. Okay. That's right. And now if we want to create a more concentrated extract, well, you can't put eight kilos into one kilo of final powder, right? Mm -hmm. So those particular extracts, we will um, process them in hot water, maybe twice if necessary with certain of our species, we will need to have an alcohol step, like with the Ganoderma, we'll have an alcohol mm -hmm. step with the reishi. We'll do the same with the chaga, we'll have an alcohol step. Not every uh, species needs an alcohol step because the compounds in them will readily come out with water, but some yep. that won't. Uh, uh, reishi triterpenoids, you can get most of them with water, but some of them you're gonna need alcohol to get the final amount of those. 
So the alcohol and might the be- audience was too, the, the alcohol that you're using to pull out those bioactive triterpenoids, these, these molecules that have pharmacological properties, that alcohol doesn't remain in your final supplement. It's not an alcoholic product. That alcohol is evaporated off, correct? Correct. Absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. And, and you know what? We, we have to do tests for that. We do tests for residual mm -hmm. alcohols just to, to yeah. show that. But, but then what happens is then now that uh, um, fluid, which again, we've concentrated down. Um, now, when we send it to the spray dryer, we are filtering out all of the fiber from the mushroom materials mm -hmm. that we're using for that. It'll go to the spray dryer, come out below, and it's designed to be an eight to one or a four to one, and that will be the fine. But in both cases, what we have is a very fine spray dried powder. And, you know, with, with extracts, I mean, and botanical extracts, I mean, that's one of the ways that you can preserve these herbs much mm -hmm. longer. I mean, an herb sitting around, dry, even dried, um, yeah. it's going to, over time, lose its value and its point potency. Not only that, like, like with mushrooms, you might even get moths in there that start to chew it up. Yeah. And, and they, they are, moths love mushrooms. Oh my God. <laughs> they, they are, uh, they eat up mushrooms like they'll eat up my wool carpets that I bought in Mexico. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, well, I wonder, um, Bill, I know you do a lot more on the analytical chemistry side. Um, a lot of our audience are also phytochemists, pharmacologists that I'm sure are interested in understanding, you know, these steps. So you, you're making these refined extracts. And again, it sounds like the process differs based on the species as is appropriate to get the right chemistry out. What sorts of tests do you do for, for, for um, quality control, but also maybe for, um, do you look for composition of, of, of certain compounds or what are the types of tests that you do? Yeah, so um, I mean, all of the standard, uh, of course, quality checks that would be done for uh, heavy metals and mm -hmm. microbiological activity, uh, yeast, mold, pathogens, and um, also testing for the presence of pesticides. Um, okay. You know, so since uh, we are an organic product, um, it would be assumed that there isn't, but you know, it's still a test that gets performed. Um, and so I, it's, it's interesting, um, as, uh, an ingredient manufacturer, right. Making these mushroom extracts, what's most important is, uh, those markers as a quality control parameter. And mm -hmm. so when Jeff was referring to beta glucan content, <clears throat> um, starting with vouchered specimens of mushrooms at the beginning of the process, um, which would have a level of beta glucan indicated in the mushroom, um, as a manufacturer of the ingredient, we're looking for ways to get better yields, right, of the active or uh, major active components and, and keep the uh, product as close as we can to what we consume as a food, right? So um, the processes that Jeff was talking about, like in terms of the analytical chemistry, um, of course, the Megazyme test, which does allow you to test for the presence of beta and alpha glucans in both uh, fungal products and yeast, um, that is uh, one of the major tests. But then, as Jeff mentioned earlier, ergosterol and ergothionine used as well. Um, and then uh, by, by different species, the secondary metabolites may be tested. Um, in lion's mane, you have the hericinones. In uh, cordyceps, you have uh, cordycepin, which is a nucleoside from uh, that. And so it's interesting that Jeff mentioned earlier in vitro research, prior to joining NAMEX, I had a, a job in a lab that really did a lot of in vitro research. And I do think it's a, it's a wonderful starting point, and it's really our starting point for sort of drug development or even botanical drug development. Um, and yet what happens is the in vitro research gets translated into marketing materials for companies talking about activity of these mushrooms when we don't actually have human clinical data that supports the in vitro data all the time. So in the best cases we do, but um, so we're, <clears throat> we're using these compounds in our manufacturing process as just that, as qualitative markers for 
extraction and for the uh, possible growing. Um, optimizing the, ex the, the extraction is really important to us because it's an expensive process um, and we want to maximize the amount of medicine that could be delivered. So um, yeah, it's been amazing to see the data that uh, Namex has compiled on mushrooms, literally, literally thousands of data points from years of doing this research. So, um, you know, and that, that drives any quality system within, and think of it even for a traditional herbalist that doesn't have the analytical equipment, they actually do have thousands of data points, at, whether it's in their notebooks or in their minds of where they went to get the material yeah. every time, how they collected it, how they processed it, how they might have processed it different in a different year because of a different way that the weather was or the plant material ended up. So um, I think when you're producing over 80 tons, I think that's kind of what uh, Jeff has said last year, it was about 80 tons, which is 80,000 kilograms yeah. of material, right? Uh, that's <laughs> Jeff in terms of fresh mushrooms, that would be, well, we have, like he said, concentrates and one-to-ones, but Jeff, that's over 800,000 kilos of fresh. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The mushrooms. amount of fresh, the, the amount of fresh mushrooms is astounding when you think of it, e even just the fact of 80 tons of dried extracts, which is we produced last year and we'll be producing even more this year. So, you know, uh, <clears throat> Cassandra, every batch that we make is a uh, thousand kilos wow. and, 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 you know, we can't afford to have something go wrong and be out of spec when you're doing a thousand kilos at a time. Yeah. So it's very, very important to us to have not only the quality assurance set up in China itself before anything leaves, and then we, we duplicate it and go further over here because over here, then we'll, we'll get out and we'll test all these other compounds. And, you know, speaking about air, uh, ergosterol, you know, that is something that grain producers actually will test for to look for fungal contamination of stored grain uh -huh. because they're worried about aflatoxins. Yeah. So ergosterol is such a great marker for us because if your product has no ergosterol, you probably do not have not any sure. fungal <laughs> material in there, right? Yeah. Or if it's really low, and that's sort of one of the ways that we've been able to, to discern with these myceliated grain products is the level of ergosterol is super low, yeah. um, you know, a tenth of what you'd get in a, a regular mushroom. So it's, it's something, again, these are marker compounds. We don't really try to build them up. What we want to see is we want to see the standard profile of our starting material. We want to make sure that yeah, the profile is similar to that. Um, and, and it usually is with our one-to-ones. It's very similar as you can right. imagine. It is a little bit different when it comes to uh, the concentrates. For one, we're, we're moving the fiber. And, you know, because of all the fiber in mushrooms, fiber, um, the beta-glucans are in the cell walls. So although we're getting a lot of those out, they still can be in that fiber. So when we remove the fiber, actually the beta-glucan content of our concentrates will go down from the one-to-ones. Interesting. Yeah, well, it really is. I mean, as a as a consumer, when I walk down the aisles of my health food store or in the grocery store, and I'm looking, let's say I'm looking for a reishi supplement, how do I navigate the verbiage on the on the, on the bottles to really ensure that what I'm getting is a true fruiting body extract and not a mis mycelial grain fed? Okay, well, well, uh, there's a number of ways. And, and the other thing I'd, I'd just like to say to you, I, I hate the term fruiting body. It's a great okay. mycological term, but what is a fruiting body? Like Bill was saying earlier, you walk into a store, where can I get the fruiting bodies? It's the, yeah. it's the mushroom cap. Yeah, it's like- It's synonymous with a mushroom. The mushroom yeah. is a fruiting body. Mycelium is the vegetative body. No one says, says vegetative body. They say mycelium. Well, why did it say fruiting body? It's 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 actually a way to kind of muddy the waters. Yeah, um, okay. But the way you the way you discern this is if it says made in the USA, okay, there's there's number one red flag. Turn it over into the supplements facts. If it says mycelium, which some companies will reveal, others won't, then you know, okay, it's one of these. And if you look in the other other ingredients, 
myceliated rice, myceliated oats. There so you go. Okay. Okay. So, so that's the way, but here's, here's the, the real issue is that, um, these manufacturers of these products, they may have their own retail line that states this, but when they sell the raw materials to others, the other companies think they're buying mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So when they label them, they don't say mycelium. They don't say uh, in the other myceliated grain of some sort. No, they say mushroom, mushroom, mushroom. That's what yeah. they say. Uh, so, so again, if you see mycelium on the back, if you see in the other myceliated grain, um, or, you, or if it says made in the USA, that, that's the, the main one right there, made in the USA. If it's made in the USA, you can almost be certain. Look, if you've already got one of those products, dump out the capsule. What does it taste like? Does it take, taste mushroomy? Does your reishi taste bitter? If your reishi doesn't taste bitter, it's not reishi. It's just grain flour. And most of these yeah, I was gonna say it's not very bland. Was, you're right, mm -hmm. Jeff. I was going to say you're, you're not always able to do that in a health food store, right? But um, I think at, as a really basic test, like, folks know that reishi is bitter. Anyone that's had a, a an extract of it could tell you that. And so that's a very easy qualitative test. The other thing you can do because you are a scientist and you would like to do this easy experiment is just you can use the regular uh, iodine test that you did in sixth grade with a potato to fabulous, uh, like, fabulous you know. test. Yeah, you, you so. can do that with take one of these products, stir it up in a quarter of cup of water, maybe three or four capsules or something, 10 drops of iodine, it will turn black. And this is like the iodine that we may have in a medicine cabinet, yep, right? And so if it turns black, that's a signifier that it's rich in starch. Correct. It should not be there if it's an actual mushroom product. Correct. It's Absolutely. hard to tell on some, like if you have a darker extract, obviously mm -hmm. it's a uh, you know, that's it's right. A, yes. What we call a colometric test, right? So yes, so, yeah. indeed, it's a colometric <laughs> test. Well, I mean, I wish that there were better legislation, let's say, for labeling of product identification. I mean, the same is true often for for botanical ingredients. Yeah. I wish we had authenticated voucher specimens for every single you know, true. You know ingredient um, that's sold. It's like we need more clarification into what we're spending our hard-earned money on and also what we're putting into our bodies. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, there is a provision that uh, FDA has for these types of products in foods. So, you know, you can go to the provisions and see that it's so, for instance, if you're, if you have a myceliated grain uh, product, you can't put it in a soup and call it mushroom soup. And that's the actual example they use in okay. the, uh, in the, the, and the compliance document. So the they have a compliance document. document. Yeah. And that's from the, that's from 1976, Cassandra. And you know, the other thing mm -hmm. that's interesting is the EU does not allow products in that are mycelium on grain because mm -hmm. they consider that a novel food. And the way I like to describe them is, is it's just like tempeh. Tempeh is fungal mycelium grown on soybeans. People don't know yeah. that they're eating mycelium when they're eating tempeh, but that's what you're eating. So, I so that encourages me too. I mean, there's, I mean, this this idea of growing obviously mycelia on grains is an important part of of certain cuisines, and that that's an integral part of certain cuisines. But the the difference here is, yeah. You shouldn't advertise something as a mushroom. When it's no, no, absolutely not. And, and that's really the yeah. issue, mislabeling. Yeah. And, and what I also would call, because of the mislabeling, I would call it adulteration. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, well, we have a lot to think about. I mean, this has been really amazing. We're, we're just at the very end of our time that we have today. Um, and because I know you both love mushrooms so much, and I need some cooking advice, and maybe some of our audience <laughs> does as well. What can you each give me a, a short and simple recipe? What's your what, what's a short and simple recipe that we can all try at home um, to enjoy our mushrooms, maybe in a new way? Well, you know, I, I, again, for me, I love to fry my mushrooms. A lot of people aren't into frying. I love to fry them, and mm -hmm. and you know, even if you do it in a wok, I like to make stir fries. So mm. I'll throw in my ingredients one at a time, fry them up, take them out, put the next one in, and then combine them at the end. So again, hot pan, 
whatever your oil of choice if you're into oils i am but um <laughs> and most stir fries are into oils but I, I love them in a stir fry but you can put them in eggs um so either one of those i mean they're so versatile that's the cool thing about that's mushrooms great. you can do anything with them you can combine them with so many different dishes yeah, I, I was going to say I've been enjoying using uh, mushrooms in place of or with a little coffee. So, um, you know, I have the ability to use our mushroom extracts, but, uh, you know, you can you could take uh, you could take shiitake uh, mushrooms that you either bought at the store or dried or whatever and uh, powder those up as well as you can in your in your Cuisinart and um that would also make a really nice vinaigrette so like if you use some oh. of the powdered powdered shiitake that you cooked a little bit first and then powder it up and um mix it into some vinaigrette and then you've got this really wonderful like shiitake vinaigrette that it's also it's loaded with medicinal properties too so that's that's my little trick that's, Jeff that's a, my, that's, i stir fry i like to stir fry my mushrooms but, but that's a wonderful so, that's yeah. a wonderful idea bill and you know what there was a company in the 90s that we sold to called annie's and they put out a shiitake vinaigrette it's delicious that's great right? it's a good way to hide the mushrooms from the kids i'm thinking too in the blender so. <laughs> yeah yeah well well that's the other thing I, I will chop them up and i'll chop up some onions and then i'll take some ground round and i'll mix it all together really good yeah. so i yeah. i don't eat a hamburger without doing that. I'll always have mushrooms and onions in there. That's great. Wow. Lots to think about. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Thank you, Cassandra. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks, Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. I want to send a big shout out of thanks to our producers, to Rob Cohen and Christine Roth at Co-Conspiracy Entertainment, and also request I need a coffee. Um, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com backslash foodie pharma. And that helps us to keep the show going, to pay the bills. Um, so we can keep bringing this out to you every week um, now in our fourth season and hoping to go into our fifth next year. So again, that's at buymeacoffee.com slash foodie pharma. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy out there and I'll see you next time.